Quarantine. Content warning. The following episode of What the Quarantine does contain themes and topics which may be offensive, provocative, or controversial to some listeners. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, 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 and this is the first ever episode of What the Quarantine also known by its short abbreviation, WTQ. And you're going to be hearing a lot about WTQ over the next few weeks or months as I go about um, covering and documenting and preserving thoughts, perspectives, stories and voices from those who who are now having to change their routines and lifestyles due to the novel coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. And I never thought that I would be doing this, developing and fronting my own podcast and producing it, editing it, and just trying to smother it all in, in, in whatever fashion that I wanted to look like. If anyone doesn't know who I am, well, shame on you. <laughs> no, 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 no. There'll be no, no rudeness, or there'll be no denigrating or trolling anyone who doesn't know about this presenter's name. I'm Jared McLaughlin. You might have heard me on Radio Adelaide, 101.5 FM, on many programs, including The Wire and Destigmatized, which is all about breaking the stigma on disability. And I am very lucky that I've been able to be given or been handed all these opportunities to speak on community radio and be able to build my own voice or my own sense of identity or figuring out what it is I'm trying to tell people or how to present myself without sounding like I'm a douchebag. But this is a continuous learning curve for me, very, very steep. And as everyone is doing their bit and staying indoors and not venturing outside to do anything non-essential and helping to flatten the curve, I am contributing in my own way by helping to entertain and and to educate and to inform the masses about what is happening in the world today, or even here in Australia, from those that we don't often hear about in the mainstream media, including those in the disability and LGBTQIA plus communities, for which I am a, a long-term cohabitant. The ethos of this podcast is me, one man with a microphone at home, 
trying to get through this pandemic and who isn't afraid to to talk to those who are self-isolating at home or wherever it is that, that they are keeping themselves over two metres apart from their relatives or their friends or any other non-blood-related human being. So right now, the depth toll here is in the double digits. I'm not wanting it to go over the triple-digit margin, but you don't know about these things. There is so much that we are discovering about this virus every day. Anyhow, enough about that. Let's get on to the first interview for WTQ. And my inaugural interviewee is Samantha Connor. She is a well-known rebel, renegade, disability and human rights activist who is not scared of letting herself be known about her own opinions. And <laughs> and trust me, I know this firsthand. You do not want to get on the bad side of her. She is a prolific social media commentator. She has worked with many advocacy organizations and services. And Samantha has also appeared on many television shows and radio programs, including a regular spot on ABC's The Drum. I chatted with Samantha about how the response to COVID-19 by state, federal and territory governments have not been, as I would put it, very coherent and not very forthcoming to all other minorities, including ours and also the indigenous and homeless populations. And I also find out why it is that Australian disability enterprises or sheltered workshops are still open despite some of the directives stating that no one can congregate in public spaces or workplaces if they have over 100 or 500 people in them. No, I'm just, I'm just on speaker. Is that better? Yep, that's much better. I can hear you crystal clear. Perfection. Yeah. Yeah, this is a whole new learning experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're halfway there because, you know, you've got radio. So <laughs> much the same, right? Yeah, well, I didn't think I was going to be like steering my own podcast due to this pandemic. <laughs> but ah, you never know when you are going to wanting to create something of this magnitude. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. Uh, uh, yeah, so I've been, I've been on the phone all day doing activist stuff and it's like, oh, now I have to work all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because I still have a day job. So, it's, But I work as a contractor so I can work, you know, when I want. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you know that stuff where people, um, you know, I just need to pick your brains about whatever and, you know, the, all the free endless labour and, you know, people being in crisis and da 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 So, yeah. <laughs> but that's been my whole day today. <laughs> yeah. And now, and now yeah. you can add this to the pile 
<laughs> oh, I don't mind. You're fabulous. So that's okay. That's, that's helping another creative, right? So that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let's see if I could be able to go viral with, with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, cool, anyway, cool. this is the inaugural episode of What's the Quarantine? And I'm joined here with Samantha Connor, disability advocate, scout leader, and I actually found out also that you did a few other jobs as well throughout your elaborate life. I do. I do. I have. I, um, I briefly had a job as a tattooist, so that's probably my most dodgy claim to fame, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, given that this so is all about me, one man with a microphone trying to, who is not afraid, who is, un, who is unafraid, to talk to other people during this period of quarantining and self-isolation due to the COVID-19 pandemic outbreak. I kind of decided I was going to talk to some people that I know, friends, acquaintances, including yourself, just to see how you guys are coping, how you're trying to come to terms with having to change your lifestyles. Mm, absolutely it's I think it's really different for all of the disabled people across Australia you know we're all in different states and we all have different rules and we all have different family situations I live in the country and I'm in lockdown so I'm in a bit of a gulag where we can't get in and out without going past a police and army barricade (laughs) so it's a bit surreal at the moment yeah it's really you can't get in or out No, no. And so I can go through the train. I have an official travel pass now Mm -hmm. for essential travel. So, you know, so I can go through on the train. But as you know, if you have a neuromuscular condition, um, catching the train is a little bit Russian roulette at the moment. So it's all a bit frightening, really. Yeah, it will be terrifying knowing that you have to go through barricades to try and get to and from where you live. Because yeah, I'm at the yeah. moment here where, where I am in Oakland's Park in the southern suburbs of South Australia, we haven't gone into full lockdown. We don't have the, the South Australian police or the Australian Defence Force putting up checkpoints um, in different suburbs. So <laughs> I kind of think we're so, lucky. So what are, what are your rules? Um, in a way. Yeah, what, are you allowed to go outside, Jared? What's, what are the um, rules? Well, you are, but only for essential services. Mm. Well, in Western Australia, it's, that includes sheltered workshops. So if you work in an ADA doing Qantas headphones, you're an essential service person, so I've got a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we've got about three or four of them here in the sta- um, state. Minda, Bedford Industries, and a f- couple of other ones. And I don't think any of them have closed, which is kind of the same problem that's happening with the Active Foundation back there in WA. Yeah, that's right. And they had their first case of COVID last week where a disabled man who caught a bus in, they made a big super workshop where, you know, lots of people could go in. There's 450 people that work together and, you know, getting paid under five bucks now. And they were all kind of forced to catch public transport. But one, the bus driver actually had COVID and, and a member of the, the workforce who was a disabled man actually caught it from him. And, you know, there's a big scare about how many people might have been reinfected, you know. But 
they've reopened the doors, which is really controversial over here. How controversial is it that Australian disability enterprises are still operating despite the current pandemic? Yeah, I think it is. You know, I, I mean, if, if we overlook the fact that people are being paid sweatshop wages and if we overlook the fact that people are no doubt being exploited, you know, the idea of an essential worker, are we talking about the essential work being people putting together headphones for planes that aren't even flying? Or are we talking about the disability support workers and, you know, there's only a couple of them who are supervising a, a whole bunch of people? Who's doing the so-called essential work and is it worth risking your life for a couple of bucks an hour? I don't think it is. Well, no, it, um, it, it shouldn't be. And no person with a disability could, should put their lives at risk just because they, they need to keep up with, with demand of stock. In, in regards, and especially when they're wanting to provide supply to certain businesses who are relying on them to keep with that emphasis of demand. But you're not going to do anything if you're not protecting um, your workforce, including those who are more vulnerable and susceptible to COVID-19. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, a lot of the other part of that is a lot of people live in group homes and congregate facilities with other people who are medically vulnerable and, and also ageing carers. You know, a lot of people who still work in, in ADAs are older people and they're living with parents who are in their sort of, you know, 60s and 70s and 80s, you know. So the possibility that you're going to take something home and reinfect another family member is huge. But I think also we've got a really big issue where they're not proposing that they're replacing support so if you're not going to work or you know if you call ADA work work if you're not doing that during the day and you go home what are you going to do what kind of support are you getting to be at home I think that's one of the really big issues here. Do you feel that the state territory and federal government have not done enough to include disabled people in their messaging and even when they're wanting to work with the, especially when they're using mechanisms like the National Cabinet to prepare or even to reduce the future consequences and the aftermath of such a huge upheaval of society. Do you see that none, no government minister or senator has done enough to wanting to make sure that disabled people do have a voice at the table? Mm, absolutely. I think um, Jordan Steele-John, who, you know, as you know, is a disabled man, has, you know, certainly been engaging our community really well and speaking to everybody every night and yes, holding yes. regular events. You know? yeah, I, I, I have I been think... watching them. I've been watching all yeah, his yeah. Facebook Live updates. Yeah, and but he's, he's kind of the, he's the exception to the rule. You know, there's um, we, the new council that I think is being announced today or tomorrow, there's a committee of people who are going to be a disability advisory body um, mm -hmm. that has one disabled person on it. As, well, you know, it started last week. Yeah, oh, okay. So Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I interviewed Roma um, Hollywood. She's the Director of Policy and Advocacy for People with Disability Australia, just putting in the name drop there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And yeah, and it's really good. Um, Jeff Smith, who's, who's also a disabled person, as, is on that group as well. So we've got him and George Talaporis. So, yeah. you know, in good mm -hmm. hands there. 
I guess making sure that we have adequate representation, you know, it means that we've got grassroots issues. Um, for example, the, um, the NDIA have announced, you know, a suite of measures that they're taking, which don't seem to be anything really that are going to, you know, benefit disabled people in the, with the problems that we're having right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people really need to be, um, we need to get information directly through and that needs to come through from the grassroots. So it's great if you're saying that we've got access to PPE through the National Medical Equipment Stockpile, but nobody knows how to actually get access to that equipment. No, they, <laughs> so they're they, the sorts of issues. No one yeah. knows. And we're not yeah. hearing anything from Scott Morrison or from Senator Anne Rushton or, or, um, mm-hmm. or even from the Minister of the NDIS, Stuart Robert. None of them have mm-hmm. been responding to our concerns and to our complaints about how they have been trying to compensate the disabled portion of Australia's population because I don't I'm not hearing anything from their televised press conferences or from their media releases there is nothing there yeah and it's it's quite it's quite odd isn't it it's sort of that people are being asked to stay home for us and they're not talking about us you know so there's really this odd thing where nobody has started a conversation publicly about, you know, the people who are at risk. You know, we know that people with heart and lung um, pre-existing conditions, people with neuromuscular conditions, a whole bunch of people with autoimmune conditions and chronic illnesses, Aboriginal people who might yeah. be more susceptible to the virus. Um, but there's really been not even any clarity around that. So I think that there's been a, a bunch of information missing and and also, um, and also, I think just people's voice about things like the value of our life. You know, if we're talking about it only being disabled people, only being people over the age of sixty-five, did you just say that all of the Aboriginal elders are of no worth? That anybody who's worked for years for a professional qualification as a doctor or neurologist and they're over 65 we should just go chuck those guys away too you know <laughs> so, yeah, basically they're just saying well they're doing it very subtly just go and lay dead we don't want to know about your pre-existing conditions or not having enough access to personal protective equipment not being able to get into the national stockpile we don't want to know anything about mm-hmm. that and i hate yeah. how government authorities are behaving in this way Mm-hmm. And it re- it's really, it's a bit terrifying, but I think also it feels a bit deliberate. There's the other, the other issue is that the cost of living for so many of us has gone up, you know, buying the equipment that we normally would buy. If you're a quadriplegic, you need to use, you know, you need to have gloves and you need to have hand sanitizer as a routine thing for your support workers. And you have bow day once a week, you know, um, mm-hmm. then... Uh, you know, you need to get those things and now you can't get them and you've got grossly inflated prices for food as well as PPE yes. and everything else. And so there's no corresponding rise to the disability um, support pension or to parenting payment even, or the aged care pension. No, there so isn't. it really is like, no. yeah, it sort of cut us out of all of that thinking. How are you, are you living by, you live by yourself at home? Or at uh, home? Yes, I live in my own unit since I was 18 on my parents' property in the southern suburbs in Oakland's Park, as I told you before. Yeah, I've been been able to easily self-isolate myself and and keep away, making sure that I reduce as much physical contact as I have with my parents as possible. 
lion, limiting how much interactions, be able to limit how much interaction I have with them both. Because the only yeah, time yeah. that I, I need to see my mum is when I, I had to get my eye drop done. Yeah, yeah. Do you, are you finding it hard, Jared? Or is it just pretty much the business as usual for you? Ah, oh, it's no um, strain on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, so, no, no. I've got this... I've got this theory because, you know, autistic life, right? So there's going to be a whole bunch of people who are barely noticing that there's a pandemic, you know, that there's, you know, I've got a family member who spends a lot of time, you know, all of his relationships are online. His (laughs) girlfriend lives in another country, you know, he occasionally sees a family member, you know, like a brother once a month and things pretty much haven't changed for him. And then I'm watching other autistic people who are just, like completely losing it. And I think some of that's the change in structure, but also Mm -hmm. people who have fought really hard for um, inclusion, you know, where they might do conference circuits and they might do speaking things and they might have people in the real world, you know, that they are friends with and they're really missing it and they're all sort of losing it a little bit, I think. So it's really interesting. In not did a good way. That, yeah. Did you also find that a lot of autistic people and others who have um, various disabilities and impairments are afraid or, or even scared that they are going to lose their sense of independence due to this pandemic? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a whole range of fears and I think they're really complicated. I think there's, there's a big overlap with OCD and, and autism too, you know. So, you know, not me, but a lot of people, um, you know, including people that I know well and in my family who have issues around germs, you know. So when you have that escalated fear of something that's very real, you know, you've got death statistics every day and a lot of people are really attracted to the statistics and you know want to understand things with really concrete data there's a lot of that around so it's a bit it's really is terrifying if you've got that fear already I think it's magnifying that issue for people Um, and then I think you know there's people with intellectual disability who had a routine for a very long time that's Mm -hmm. all changed all of a sudden you've been confined to the house there's parents who have got multiple autistic or disabled children who are being asked to homeschool them as of you know today on a an old laptop one laptop (laughs) yeah there's a thing because not everybody has five computers for five kids you know so I I honestly I don't think the expectations of the schools are going to be enormous but I think the Mm. the pressures put on parents of disabled kids um, are probably going to be pretty high as well though you know so it's pretty stressful. Oh, sorry about that. I'm to interrupt you, Samantha. I just need to know, and I need to keep an eye on the time because I'm only allowed to have 40 minute meetings on this um, app because I, I don't ah, have cool. the premium edition of Zoom. I only got <laughs> the basic free edition or version. <laughs> How give has me, give the, me wind up time then. Yeah, winding me up. Yeah, everyone wants to be able to do that to me. I'm very susceptible <laughs> to. I'm quite. Uh, Agile to cynicism and sarcasm. I get that all <laughs> the are. time. Just ask my parents. <laughs> <laughs> so, how has the Western Australian government reacted to COVID nineteen? Have they made any allowances for their c- citizens with disabilities or not? 
look, if I was going to be a real West Australian, I'd tell you that we're better than everybody else and that we should just secede from the rest of the country. But I'm not. So um, I'm just going to say um, I think they've responded mostly appropriately overall. And they definitely have a hell of a lot of work to do with for, you know, disabled people and older people and Aboriginal people. We had a lot of people, um, Aboriginal people are two and a half times as likely to be disabled, as you know. A lot of Aboriginal people come down from up north um, to come and access dialysis and then they're homeless, you know, there's nowhere to stay down here. So, um, you know, we put a lot of pressure on them during the week to to help some homeless people because there's a lot of homeless people in WA and their thing was kind of to round everyone up and corral them into a, a recreation camp and lock the door you know <laughs> so together so um and then put another bunch of people who may or may not be Aboriginal up in a, a very posh four-star hotel so there's kind of this real disparity about the way that you know things are being responded to I think rather than thought out but I don't think there's really been much time to do much thinking. I think there's been a lack of planning and overall and, you know, the people they should be planning for who are the people who are the people who you should, you know, help most because you're the most vulnerable. We're kind of the people who have been left behind in this. So, you know, business is being looked after first and so are the workers. So that's been an issue for us. I've been hearing from a lot of political commentators and media practitioners and also commentators and news anchors and the like that they have been comparing this pandemic to the Spanish flu, which happened between 1918 to 1920. And knowing how many people lost their lives to that massive incursion of a viral disease or virus that swept throughout the world mm-hmm. um, um, over a century ago. Do you mm-hmm. see that as a, an accurate and fair comparison, especially with the way our societies, especially in Western democracies, have evolved over the past 100 years? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, oh, look, in theory, we should be a lot better off, right? You know, we should be a better society. We have unlimited technology. You know, we're not being asked to bare arms. We're being asked to sit on the couch and watch Netflix for a while. It shouldn't be that bloody hard. Um, but um, <laughs> It's not for but, me. <laughs> apparently, no, there's a thing, right? Apparently it is. Apparently people are giving up the world for this. And, you know, so we're all very aware of the economic downturn, but, you know, how do you balance that out against people's lives? And I don't think, I think maybe back then, a hundred years ago, we were a, a better society in that regard, that, you know, that we wouldn't consider you know capitalism and wealth being prioritized over over people's lives i think we were a lot more human you know that's been a a concern i also think we they were more interdependent as a society whereas we have this focus on rugged individualism you know everyone should just get on with it and pull up their own bootstraps and yeah that means that a whole bunch of people you know are going to starve to death really basically <laughs> so it's, it's, some... basically um they're going with with the um philosophy of each person in for themselves so they're not yeah. caring about everyone else well i'm loving seeing these stories about neighbors and families really yeah, looking yeah, out for yeah. um for each other and making sure that yeah, their yeah. closest making sure that they that those that those who are closest to them are okay and that they are looking after themselves 
I think when people are talking about, you know, this being a comparison to war, which I don't think is necessarily correct, but I think there is a bit of a war going on, that there's this war on humanity, that people are being asked to compromise our basic humanity and, you know, and think about things that probably aren't as important. You know, we can't say that it's less important for disabled people and old people to have access to a ventilator. You know, that's just, it's not something we should do. I think there is this war going on. There's this sort of struggle that isn't being articulated very well. And the one thing that's given me great hope is watching, even though art's being cut everywhere, you know, funding's being cut for art and the arts, but I'm seeing people do these amazing creative things from their bedrooms, you know, and, and your podcast, you know, that there's, for the first, this bad thing that's happened has become an opportunity for, you know, a whole bunch of people to start podcasting. It's amazing. Oh, yes, really, yes, that's yes. a really cool thing. Yeah, I have seen yeah. a lot of people starting their own podcasts and web blogs and every, every, all types of multimedia content that you would not have seen before COVID-19 plummeted throughout the world. You would not have seen people having yeah. to reconfig and even adapt their whole format or their whole structure of how they go about producing their program to the masses mm -hmm. and even for those who are starting out mm -hmm. like myself mm -hmm. with this podcast even I don't know how it's all going to go and knowing how the audience will react to it. it that's a really exciting thing though I think that people are all doing that at the same time we're able to mentor each other and talk about things and start a different conversation about connecting I think yeah. in different ways and you know how long have we all been asking to work from bloody home you know now decades it's, and um, decades <laughs> all it took was one little pandemic right yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we're all quite enjoying watching people trying to work out zoom for the first time <laughs> <laughs> yeah been there done Sorry. that that's <laughs> yes, right so you know if we all you know if things do work out okay and we all have to hold hope that there will be that you know these are the things I think that we can hold on to that there'll be positives to come out of this for you know hopefully hopefully all of us right mm -hmm. we yeah. hope so that everyone will be able to to get through this and come through the other end with their ethical and moral tendencies intact including yeah. um, us as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> we'll get through Perhaps it better. Perhaps a little bit more <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. We won't lose yeah. any of our, of our true selves. Anyway, yeah, Samantha, absolutely. I want to ask you one more thing. And thank you for coming here and talking to me and being the first ever guest on my podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Joe. It's been great. So give me your burning question. So what advice or tips can you give to everyone who is struggling or even having trouble trying to having to live this whole new life of being indoors? Oh, the really grown up question. I think that the greatest advice that I have is that, you know, you have a right to feel exactly as you're feeling right now, you know, because everybody is having a different experience of this and it's all new, you know, so for, if you're feeling rage at the government, you know, don't shut up about that just rage it's fine yeah, binge, you know, don't uh, whine yeah. <laughs> and binge binge on netflix as well you know like yes you do that to, definitely do that you know, <laughs> make and, sure and, you're and, doing and, all the positive things yeah, yeah yeah but you know and don't but don't lose hope you know and just and i think you know if you need to cry go and do that if you need to punch things go and do that but 
I think the one good thing for us as a community is that we have to fight for everything that we've had, all of us, all the time. We're all really tired, but it's nothing new to us. This is just something different. So I think for all of us, there's this kind of message of hopefulness. We're a community of fighters and we've come out of the other side of a whole bunch of other things and we have a whole group of people who are all pulling in the same direction well that is a great way to end this conversation the first one for wtq thank you for joining me samantha thanks so much jared it's lovely talking to you thank you so much samantha and it was great to have you on (laughs) oh yes yes and that is why that she is someone who is a troublemaker but is the kind of troublemaker that you want to have on your side and you can follow samantha to hear everything she has to say from the federal government to ableists who don't have a clue or who just don't give two f's about what's going on with those who have a disability just go to her twitter account which is at crip rights And if you need to spell it out, that's C-R-I-P-R-I-G-H-T-S. Join me again next week when I'll be talking to some more of my friends and acquaintances to hear from their own perspectives and voices how they are getting through this pandemic and if there is a silver lining or any kind of lining that involves us not being massacred it was good to hear from you all and keep safe wash your hands stay indoors and don't let yourself be dictated or be persuaded by misinformation or fake news about COVID-19 we need to know the facts first and foremost so there is no room to be misinformed or misled about anything that isn't accurate about protecting ourselves from contracting this virus. Okay, I'll talk to you all soon. Bye.